The promise that Abraham believed is what we celebrate. Isn't that wonderful? I love being on this side of the nativity. <laughs> Isn't that great when the promise is kept? But by faith, he accepted it. And God counted him as righteous. And the most amazing thing in that is he's even called a friend of God. Powerful stuff. Well, let's talk about that today. God comes near in this promise that he has. Uh, we've so far, we've looked at how God has this history of coming near to us, even from the very beginning, our creation. And how God made us with his own hands and his own breath. And he walks within the garden. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, he walks in the garden. He speaks to them face to face and he covers them. He makes clothes for them in a way and gives them a promise there. And says, it's not always going to be like this, but there's going to be a deliverer. Uh, he, he comes near in, in times of judgment. We, look at, we looked at, at Noah. When everyone in the world was, was walking away from God and there was just this one family that decided to stay true. And God is so near that He knows every human heart. And He found Noah. And in the midst of judgment, He brings about deliverance. That He was not far off from that ark. It's so much so that when Noah got off the ark, He even met, he even met the emotional need of Noah and his family. He put a rainbow in the sky reminding Noah, I'm not going to do that again. You don't have to live near this ark forever. But there is, there is grace for you. And there's love. This is a God that we have. But you know what? Those first two things were, are phenomenal because they teach us about the character of God. But they did not do a ton for us to, to, to address the character of ourselves. Adam and Eve were still rebellious. I mean, their kids were murderers. And we have Noah. They got off the ark and it didn't take long for them to mess up. The human condition is, is wicked. We have these broken moral compasses that make us go all which direction and we wander far from God by nature. God keeps coming near, but what on earth can save us from ourselves? There was this man that was named Ab- Abram. And uh, he lived you know, down by the Sinai Peninsula. And he lived in a culture after the flood where you would think people would be like, maybe we should not make idols. But they weren't like that. It was a culture where they had all kinds of idols. Lots of little gods on, on shelves that they worshipped. And he grew up in, in a household of privilege. And he grew into that privilege and he was very successful. And at the age of 80, which is a while, God shows up and gives Abram a promise that he will come near and change us. In fact, we can read this promise. It actually happened several times, but the first one and we read is in uh, Genesis uh, 2, 7. Oh, no, no it's not. <laughs> That's way early. Bring it up here. God calls upon faith. It's Genesis 2, 21. Um, and the, 
21, 12, 21. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be a blessing through you. Think about this. Out of nowhere, God shows up. Was Abram in a Christian culture? No. And it wasn't a Jewish culture because there weren't any Jewish culture yet because he was the father of that. She wasn't in a faithful culture. He wasn't even in the promised land because there wasn't a promised land at that point. In fact, he was about as close to where the fall took place as you could, you could get. I mean, he was living just outside of where Eden had been before God washed it away in the flood. He was there in, in a family that did not know God or worship him accurately, in a culture that did not know God or worship him accurately. There was nothing in Abram's life that we looked at from, from an outside perspective to say, this is a man who wants to be close to God. At least nothing that we find. And at the age of 80, when most people are thinking about retirement, God shows up and comes near to him and gives him a promise which just is beyond anything that, that the world could offer him. He was 80, and he didn't, have a, he didn't have a child. He had no one to carry on the family name. And it said, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country. What? I've lived here my whole life. And go where? <laughs> oh, read lots of your family? The land that I'm going to show you. Where's that? Well, just leave everything. Why? I'm going to make you to a great nation. I don't have kids. Hard to have a great nation if you don't have a lineage, right? That's kind of the importance why we all pay attention when the prince of whoever has a kid, right? We're like, oh, there's going to be another king. It's not going to end. He's 80. I'm going to bless you and make you famous. Where? Because right here in my hometown where I'm 80 years old and everybody knows me, and this would be a great place to be famous. I've got a head start on it. No, go where nobody knows you. Go where you are a foreigner and you live in a tent. There's where I'm going to make you famous. And you're going to be a blessing to others. Well, why wouldn't I be a blessing here, God? I'm sure he would be thinking, I've got my own network. I've got everything here. My house is here. It's probably paid off by now. I've got, you know, friends and families and people and networks. I can be a blessing to the people here. I have what I need to bless others here. And God's no. Go where you don't have a network. <laughs> Go where you're not set up. That's where you're going to be a blessing. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Now, that's just a cool promise. If God said that to you, be like, all right, I'm your side. That's pretty cool. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. God entered into Abram's life. When I'm sure Abram didn't expect anything to enter into his life. He's old. And he enters in a way that Abram would not have expected. The one thing that Abram couldn't get on his own, children, God says, I'm going to do this for you. But the thing that Abram didn't know that he needed, God also promised him. The world needed a blessing. Sometimes God's promises for us are to us, but not really for us. And you read this. This is a promise for you and me. 
all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's, that's a phenomenal thing. God's widening the scope and saying, Abram, it's not just because you're such a cool dude. Because I'm doing something. The way that things are are not the ways that they will always be. I have not abandoned this world. Even though, remember before the flood, people went from Adam and Eve, and then they went from that to like complete depravity. And then after the flood, what was happening? They went from Noah, and then they were spiraling down into complete depravity again. And God says, no. I'm going to enter into this and I'm going to change something. Now, Noah receives this promise, but you don't have to accept it, right? God offers this promise, but, but Abram could have said, thanks, but I've got my retirement. I'm comfortable, and quite frankly, an 80-year-old living in a tent for the rest of his life does not sound very good. I shall pass on the nation bit. He could have done that. But Abram did something different, which is phenomenal for all of us. We find that in this next thing, that God then confirms his faith in Genesis 2, 1 through 2. Abram moves out into the wilderness, and he lives there for quite some time, like over two decades out there living in a tent. Now, granted, nice tents, but tents. And, no city, and they're moving around, and he has problems with his, his, his nephew. He, has, he goes into... Uh, Wars with some of the nations that are around there, the city-states, because they're kidnapping his family. I mean, he does all these adventures that Abram has. He sees Sodom and Gomorrah get torched. I mean, he's, he's had this adventure with God. He has a son from his wife's slave. And God says, glad you have that boy, but that's not whom you're going to have your nations through. And finally, he has a son with his wife. And that son starts to grow up and he says, okay, God, you're keeping your promise. I can, it's not a nation yet. I mean, it's not like the stars in the sky because I can count them. It's like one. You know, it's like right there. And, and God says to him, all right, you had enough faith to follow me into nothingness and you can see that I keep my promises, but he needs to confirm Abraham's faith in this. And so it sounds totally cruel to us, but God was up to something powerful here. And God says this to Abram, says sometime, or Abraham at this point, says God, sometimes later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now, I'm sure at this point, Abraham was thinking this is probably going to be good. He got a phone call from God, right? Everything's, he's got my, he's got my son, my lineage lined up. Everything is set. Up to this point in the conversation, Abraham's thinking things are good. And then it says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. There's, there's no room to misunderstand what he's telling him here. It's not like, you know, go find Ishmael and tackle him and bring him up here. No. Your son, your only son, the one I'm going to keep my promise through, right? This one. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That's hard. Now, from a human perspective, that seems downright cruel. I mean, to force a guy to kill his own son, that is pretty cold. That's hard. But God wasn't just testing Abraham's obedience and resolve to obey him. He was also testing Abraham's faith. Because whom was God going to keep all of his promises through? His son Isaac. 
That's whom God said. Time and time again, God says, no, no, it's not through your other child. It is through Isaac. You left your country, your family, your, everything that you knew. You moved to the middle of nowhere. You stay there several decades. And you have all these, these hardships, difficulties, but you do that by faith. Abraham does this by faith because God said, I'm going to make you a nation. And the child that's going to be that nation is right there. And you see him and God says, now kill him. Abraham was at a crossroads because in his brain it doesn't make sense how God can keep his promise and also make this command, right? There is no human way possible for you to have children from a dead kid. And God trusts Abram. Was all of this that God did, was it just a big joke? Was God changing his mind? Had God decided, nope, you're not going to have a nation anymore? Was God going to renege on his promise? Because it certainly looked like it. But here's the thing that, that's powerful about this. Abraham could have walked away. He could have said to God, no. One, I can't kill my son. Two, you can't kill my son because you've got to keep your promise through it. So no, what you're asking is out of line and I will not do it. And he could have walked away. But Abraham did something that I don't think many people, I, I, don't, I know that I wouldn't have this capacity of faith like he did. Because he didn't have the scripture, he didn't have Jesus rising from the dead, he didn't have all these confirmations, he just had God. He didn't have the Bible. And he says, okay. And he brings his son to this mountain. And he makes him carry the wood and the fire. This boy that he loves. And we find out in the New Testament that he did this because he knew that if God allowed this to happen, then he must raise him from the dead because he knew that God keeps his promises. Abraham had this amazing faith. And so God confirms that faith in Abraham and then he rewards it. It's the amazing part of the story. It says the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord said. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Now get this. Abraham brings his boy up to the top of the mountain. Ties him up. I imagine for Isaac, kind of a big day. Right? And there would never be a doubt in Isaac's mind as to, uh, one, does my dad follow God first and most and, and best? But also, is God real? Because as the knife goes, I mean, this is like last minute stuff. Like the knife is in the air, ready to plunge down. And God says, wait. And then there's, of course, a ram that is caught into the bushes. And that is what the sacrifice is made of. And God says to Abram, Abraham at this point, you've obeyed me. You've not even withheld your own son. There's nothing that you're keeping from me. Nothing. And there he says, I swear by my own name, I'm going to bless you. And he does. I'm going to multiply your descendants beyond number. What God asked him to do is sacrifice one. And God said, what you were going to sacrifice, I'm going to return to you multiple fold. You're not even able to count your kids. How powerful is that? Like the stars in the sky, the sands in the seashore, your descendants are going to conquer cities, other enemies. His son Isaac was basically dead. I mean, he was two and a half feet from nothing. And God says, nope, 
Now it's going to, you're going to cover the earth. And through your descendants, again, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Now, you say, how did God come near in this? It seems awful scary. Let's say that we have a scary God. He is powerful and he's brilliant beyond our comprehension. He makes promises that we can't ever understand how he could fully keep. He asks us things and to do things that in our brains and our minds would never make sense. We cannot reconcile them. But our faith isn't in the promise. Our faith is in the promise giver. And what Abraham knew of God was something that is powerful for us because it allows us to not run away when God comes near. Is to trust that God knows what he's talking about. That he's going to keep his word. That he's going to keep his promise. We have a very powerful God. When, when Joseph and Mary got an angel visiting them and saying what was going to happen, I'm sure it didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. How is this all working? Right? There are a lot of better ways to save the world. I'm sure they could have thought in their mind. How come we don't have a place that we can even have this child if this is a child of God? And yet they did not run. Why? Because it is faith that allows us to stand as God approaches. It is the promise that God gives to us. It says, you know what? You will be saved. Now here's the thing about Abraham. He died. And he didn't see the multitude of nations. He had an only son when he died. And he saw his son married, which was great. Which, you know, is a nice start. At least he said, okay, he's going to have kids. He trusted God in that. But did he see the children, the number of the sand on the seashore spreading throughout the world? Did he see the world blessed through him? No, he didn't. But was the world blessed through him? Are his descendants numerous? Is Abraham blessed? Yeah, name me one other person that lived way back then that we don't find in, in Scripture. Here was a guy who would have been a bigwig in his own hometown and would have died, and then a generation later nobody would have remembered him. Except for maybe like somebody would have built a bench for him or something. And, you know, that's it. And now all the nations of the world are blessed through this man because he obeyed him. See, the thing is, God came near to Abraham in this promise that says, I'm going to do these things. And some of the things that God promised him were just for Abraham. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to fill the desires of your heart. I'm going to do these things that you could never do in a way that you could never do them so you can't take credit for doing them. So trust me. But he also made for Abraham a promise to bless everyone. Abraham realized that the promise was beyond him. It was to him, but not only for him. His promise was for the whole world. Now, for you and me, how does this all connect? I think it begins with this, that God speaks to us in this promise. We have not seen Jesus return yet. We don't see the moment that I accept Christ through faith. I don't see all of a sudden a halo pop above my head. I don't see my mansion that God has built for me in glory. I don't see the crown of, 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 of glory that he has prepared for me for for the things that I've done to worship him and to serve him. I don't see any of that. I don't see his kingdom and power. In fact, when I look around the world, I see Christians being slaughtered. I don't see those things. 
There are promises that God makes to us. There are good things. Living for him does result in a better life. But there are promises that we don't see with our eyes. Uh, and yet, what Abraham shows us is that just because those promises aren't seen with our eyes yet doesn't mean that they are not coming. God keeps his promise. And so he asks me by faith. He says, trust me, follow me, obey me, serve me. He asked me to do crazy things like love my enemies or to share the good news of Christ with those who may not really want to hear it. He tells me to live my life and to obey him even when he asks me to do things that don't quite make sense. To be kind when I want to be mean. To be generous when I don't feel like I have enough. To be, to be proactive in serving others when I'm just tired and want to be served myself. He asks me to do by faith. And he gives me this promise that says, Aaron, if you do this, you'll be saved. And you are. If you just trust me. And if you live these ways, there are rewards. You'll be fine. But I have that question. He, he asked of faith. Now he's got to confirm it in my life. God tells me to do this. Serve those things. Do those things. All that. He's going to bless me and he's going to bless the world through our actions. And yet, if I don't, I can walk away and I can be comfortable in my salvation. I could say, okay, I'm here. And I could sit there and, and live my, an insignificant life for him. But he says, no. He beckons me. He says, Die to yourself. Live your life as a sacrifice. Right? How are you going to keep your promise to me, God, of blessing the world, doing all these things through me, if I basically die to myself? He says, but if you die to yourself, you're really going to live. That's the twist. That's where God confirms the faith in us. And each of us have that moment, probably multiple times, we're the opportunity to either trust God in his promise or to live for me. But when we trust in, that, in Christ and we believe the promise beyond what we believe what we can see with our eyes, there is a reward. God comes near and he shows up in big ways. If Abraham didn't bring his son to that mountain, he never would have seen the ram. He never would have received this, this, this blessing that we now, that we now get which is a powerful thing. And so for you and me, as we are in Christ and we know Christ, to understand that to live in Christ is to live in faith. And when we live in faith, we connect with God. To be a friend of God, you have to be close to him. We can't run away. And yet the only way we can stand firm is to stand in faith and to trust him. And so at Christmas, when we, and in spite of all the evidence that we would look at in our world to the contrary, Jesus really is God. He really is Lord of Lords. He really has a kingdom that he's establishing on this earth now. He really is coming back. There really is hope. And Christ reminds us that God really loves everybody. That his offer of salvation is available, but we need to trust him in that. And so, as we bring this message to a close, you say, what do I do with this? Well, I have some ideas. Of course I do. Every week I have ideas for you. I'm not going to leave you hanging. First thing to do is memorize James 2.23. Why? Well, I think the power of faith is, is a difficult thing. Um, for most of us, we need to see somebody else have faith. It encourages us to, to have faith ourselves, right? 
Um, it's like this. Uh, if you ever, we used to have this playground down at Stanley Park, and there was a rope on it. It was the rope of death. I saw a kid break his arm on it once. Uh, it was this rope that was climbing or whatever, and it, it was about 12 feet off the ground. And when they first built it, you know, and you're short, you're like this big, and you look down there, it's like this great abyss onto like this hard gravel that they had there. So that way you would get gravel impaled into you as you died. <laughs> and I remember this when they opened the park and all the kids ran up to that and they had a big twirly part of the slide and all this. No one else was going to go down that rope because you all the ways looked at it and it looked crazy and scary. And then there was this one kid named Bobby Howell who was a nut. And he ran and jumped onto the rope because it was like out a ways. And he jumped onto it. And by faith, the rope caught him. And he went down and he had a great time. And after that, we knew that we could do this. We could then trust that the rope would hold us and not, we wouldn't die. As humans, we oftentimes need that example, don't we? It is the example of those who come before us. We can look and say, oh, yes, they had faith and God caught them. That is the power of this memory verse. Abraham, the father of faith, we call him that for a reason. He trusted God in something big and God was there and caught him. and He was safe and he was fine. And God also calls us to reach out in faith. And maybe this week what you need to do is memorize James 2.23 because perhaps, even now, there is something scary that God's asking you in faith. And maybe that verse is exactly what you need to remind yourself that there's another who have gone before you and that God can be trusted. Or maybe... You're doing fine right now, but I tell you what, God's going to require faith of us. He needs to require faith of us. Otherwise, if we do something and we didn't have to do it by faith, then we could say, I did this instead of God. And then we don't have that God experience. Memorize this verse. Meditate on it. Think about it. Maybe that's what you try to do. How about this? Read Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Why? It's Christmas week, for crying out loud. You want to read about how God keeps his promises, the promise he made to Abraham? Read that. God is good for His Word. Or how about this? Pray for some opportunities to share this promise. You know, we have friends and family, co-workers, neighbors, this time of year. 80% of our community doesn't know Jesus. That's 8 out of 10, so your odds are good. But if you share it, somebody's going to be like, really? Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to pray for, for some opportunities to share this promise. Don't just go out on your own. Ask God. God, help me. Provide opportunities. Show me who I need to talk to. Open up these, these doors. But also pray for this when you pray for it. Pray that God's going to give you the words and the courage to do it. Because God will open the door for you. And if you don't have the courage, then you're going to wimp out and you're going to feel bad about it. So pray for opportunities, but also pray that God gives you that words and the courage. How about this? Do something active in that as well. Invite someone to the candlelight service. Why? That is an entry-level way to hear the gospel. There, we have what's called the C&E crowd, the Christmas Easter crowd, right? And it's true. And the reason that people come there is because they feel like it's just the right thing to do, and it is. And so I guarantee we'll be presenting the gospel. If there is somebody out there that you know that needs a Christian family, that needs that embrace of God, to know that God comes near to them so that they can be near to God, invite them. But that's going to take some courage. So let us know that you're going to do that so I can be praying for you this week as you invite somebody to come join you. Maybe there's something else that you have to do. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working in you right now, something different than I had planned, because that's quite likely. Let us know so I can be praying for you this week. But make that commitment to God. 
Live in faith so that way when God comes near, you can actually enjoy being near with God. Maybe there's something else that you need to decide, other uh, uh, commitments you need to make or a prayer request. I encourage you to make those. Let us know what your prayer requests are too. We'll be praying for you this week. Um, and here in just a minute, we're going to take our offering. I want you to do is take this connection card. You filled it out and put it in the offering and along with your, um, your tithes and, and, your, uh, and your gifts and make this another offering of yourself to God as, as he continues to change us and grow us and to keep his promise in us. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up uh, as we do that. And uh, let's, uh, as the worship team comes up, let's, uh, let's pray for our offering and for these offerings. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of, of uh, faithfulness. You ask us to have faith. You work in our lives when we uh, express faith, and that's really just trusting you. And Father, we have a history, a rich history of seeing that you're good for your word. You keep the impossible so that way we know it's not just us that made these things up. Uh, We need that. And I thank you for building our trust in you by keeping your word, by being a faithful God. Father, I thank you for the faith of Abraham that is an example for all of us to trust you even when the odds are against it. I thank you that, that, Father, that you have made a promise to Overcome darkness with light. To end the the darkness of our souls with righteousness and goodness. Father, and to deliver us from the death that we deserve, that you saved us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for coming in the flesh. Thank you for being born amongst us so we could understand who you are and that you could understand us. And we would never be able to say to you, you don't know what it's like because you walked in our skin. Thank you for being a God that keeps his word and that we can trust. And now, Father, as we make these these gifts to you, Father, these commitments, I pray you help us keep them. Let us be a church that doesn't just confess faith, but, Father, that practices it, that puts it into action. Let us trust you. God, give us the courage to do that. Help us to encourage one another to do that, Father. And, Lord, we pray for our community that lives in such darkness Lord, I pray that the light of the gospel would reach every one of them. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities as a church, as, as your followers in this community. I pray that you would do that for every church in this community. That you would provide opportunities to share the good news that you're a God who loves us, that has not abandoned us, that it came near to us, and we know how you came near. If you even have your name, your name is Jesus. And help us to have the courage to share. And Father, for the commitments that are made, help us keep those. And Lord, also we thank you for the opportunity to invest in this kingdom. Lord, I pray that our tithes and our offerings would be made out of right spirit, Lord. And that you would use those gifts to magnify your glory in this valley. To magnify your freeing work in this community, Father. Thank you for that. And all these things we lift to you in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.